0: Good morning. If you'd like to open your Bibles on page 886, we're in Daniel chapter 3 and we're just going to read verse 1 and then we're going to jump to 8 to 30. Nice short one for me this morning. (laughs) Okay, so the image of gold and the blazing furnace. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, sixty cubits high and six cubits wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura, in the province of Babylon. At this time some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to the King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has ensured a degree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn flute. Zither, lyre, harp, pipe and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there were some some Jews whom have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Sadrach, Meshach and Abednego who pay no attention to you your majesty They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. So these these men were brought before the king and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, And they were thrown into the burning furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And these three men firmly tied fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet. In amazement, he asked his advisers. "'Weren't there three men that were tied up "'and thrown into the fire?' "'They replied, "'Certainly, Your Majesty.' "'He said, "'Look, I see four men walking around the fire, "'unbound and unharmed, "'and the fourth looks like the son of the gods.' "'Nebuchadnezzar then approached "'the opening of the blazing furnace, "'and he shouted, "'Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, "'servants of the Most High God, "'come out, come here!' So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego came out of the fire. The satraps, the prefects, the governors and the royal advisers crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their head singed. Their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has set his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Sadrach, Meshach, Abednego be cut into pieces, and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon.
1: Um, It's such a privilege to to be continuing our series looking at the, the book of Daniel and how we can flourish in Babylon. And today I've got some really good news for us. We can all have courage under fire because God is with us. You and I can have the kind of courage that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego display in our passage today, because if we stand firm, we do not need to fear the fire. Today, God is calling us to have courage under opposition, and then we'll be able to take courage, for God is with us. And what's even better This isn't just for you and me, but your courageous witness will have an impact. But first, first, let's just do a little previously on to bring us up to where we are. Well, you might remember the book of Daniel is set in the time of the Babylonian exile. It's when the people of Judah were taken into captivity for 70 years. Babylon was at the time the greatest empire that had existed. And its king, Nebuchadnezzar, was a fearsome guy with just a little bit of a temper. He's also full of pride. We see this particularly in this chapter with the whole making of an image. Daniel and his, his three friends had been asked to serve in the royal household. They'd been given new names, but God had made Daniel wise. They come under pressure to conform to social expectations on, around the eating of certain foods and had to show enormous integrity under pressure. And the witness of their character is powerful. But meanwhile, God had been speaking to Nebuchadnezzar in dreams, showing him that the kingdoms of the earth, indeed his own kingdom, although the splendor of the ancient world, would not last but instead crumble. And what's Nebuchadnezzar's response? Well, in chapter 3, he decides to set up a, a golden image, which everyone's ordered to worship, on pain of death, quite literally. And so, what was a call to have integrity under pressure becomes, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, a call to have courage under fire, under opposition. And they do so. They stand firm, and God saves them. So, take courage there. And through the witness of these chaps' courageous faith, God again reveals himself to Nebuchadnezzar. I think it's just a wonderful story. But if, like me, you're the sort of person who's shown a group photograph and immediately looks for yourself, you might be wondering, what do these kind of golden images and fiery furnaces have to do with me from a civilization lost to history? Am I Shadrach in this story? Where am I? Well, firstly, as we'll see later, I have to tell you, it's not about you. It's not about me either. But also, wonderfully, it isn't not about you and me. Friends, we too are exiles in Babylon. The world is not our home. We're citizens of heaven, as as Paul writes to the Philippians. So if you're sitting there thinking, cool, good, story but you know there's no golden statue to bow down to here i mean it's a bit like king charles is not going to make us go and bow to a giant statue of his ears in trafalgar square is he not just because he might be conscious of his ears but if you're struggling to see how this speaks to us my friends there's always something to bow down and worship be it fashion fame or fortune sex status or success. And so if there's an idol we're called to bend the knee to, then we have a choice. Bow to idols or stand firm with God. Let's look at how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego respond. And do do have your Bibles open so you know, I'm not making it up. In verse 12, we're told they refuse to serve Nebuchadnezzar's gods, nor worship the image of gold he set up. And that's something to celebrate, isn't it? The people of God, recognizing that it's ungodly to bow to these images, choose to disobey. And friends, we all have to choose our response when God lays it on our heart, that there's an image to which we're being asked to bow. But this is only the beginning of the story. You see, that's their integrity, in their solitude, and it's great. But things are going to get a lot worse for them, or so it seems. Because they and we are not merely called to have integrity under pressure, but to have courage under opposition. Because the thing is that we only know about Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego's integrity because they get denounced by the astrologers in verse 8. If we obey God, the enemy, Satan, will hate us and do all he can to oppose us. Incidentally, do you you notice how sort of obsequious these people are in their denouncement? They're like, may the king live forever, verse 9. They're appealing to his pride and vanity, aren't they? It's what God wants to correct in Nebuchadnezzar. He's playing the long game with him. Because the irony is that Nebuchadnezzar will not, of course, live forever. Neither will his kingdom, and we saw that last week. Friends, the enemy is subtle, and he doesn't play fair. If you're serving God and turning your back on Babylon, then you should expect spiritual attack. Expect opposition. I'll say that again because I think it sometimes takes us by surprise that the enemy is concerned with us serving God quietly. You might have thought that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego weren't really harming anyone by quietly you know, getting on with their worship of Yahweh and, and their refusal to bow down to that golden image. And I wonder if that's sometimes the picture we paint of ourselves as Christians. You know, we're not a bother, are we? Coming to church on a Sunday, maybe putting a fish on our car. I read of a, a Christian man who was working in a garage, and he, he took down a calendar of, a, of a topless women because he knew that that was just degrading. The backlash he received was severe. His colleagues resorted to using homophobic slurs. So friends, don't expect your quiet disobedience to go unheard and unnoticed. Expect to be denounced. Expect to be opposed and for that to be palpable. Look at verse 13 and you'll see how we read Nebuchadnezzar's reaction. He was furious with rage. Fortunately, he's got enough wisdom to check the accusation was true. So he's not entirely depraved. And I think this detail is actually really important because it shows not only that Nebuchadnezzar fundamentally has a heart for justice, but also Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's real t- though that's essential. See, ha- how easy would it have been for them to have said in response to the king's question, is it true, to say, oh, no, no, not at all, no, um, a king, I- I've no idea why these guys said that, they're just telling tales. Yeah, uh, we're, to- we're totally on board with bowing to the image. And would be like, oh, really? Fine, excellent. I'm glad we got that one cleared up then. And perhaps they'd have got away with it. But nothing would have changed. But then what if the king had pushed them? What if he said, yeah, well, yeah, I believe you, of course. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, you know, it would be really good... If you could just just do a little worship in front of the image now, in front of your, your accusers, would you? Knowing how the king reacted, it would have been so easy just to bow down before the image, wouldn't it? And make liars out of the astrologers. You can be sure the astrologers would have been the ones to have been thrown into the flames. But these men of God do not do that. And I think they know that if they were to lie in the first instance, then they might have to put their money where their mouth is. And yet, yet, would it really have mattered? I mean, it would have only been paying lip service to something, wouldn't it? They, They wouldn't have really worshipped the image in their heart. Imagine, for example, and I'm aware there is some sort of sporting event occurring at the moment, and that England played South Africa... Last night, um, I was going to say I have no idea who won, by the way, but I I did see the score. So imagine if last night, Mike, Martiana and Johnny and the other South Africans in our congregation had gone round to Will and Sophie's, and uh, Will and Sophie had given them England shirts to wear in place of their South Africa ones. I I know Mike has a South Africa t-shirt, I've seen him wear it. And imagine if they'd expected them to cheer on Stewart and the English team. You know, Mike and others might have done it, um, but uh, I'm also sure that Will and Sophie would never have asked them to do this. I certainly would never do that, but it's just because I don't watch rugby or own any sporting shirts. It is just an illustration, a bit like this one. But you can imagine how they might feel. They might also think, well, I can suck it up, I can wear this shirt, because I'm not actually hoping England will win, even if I cheer them on in front of Will and Sophie. And so in a way, like bowing your head to an image you know is not a god, seems less problematic than, say, taking down the calendar of a topless woman, which is in itself harmful. But that's not. How Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego respond. Said verse 16, they say boldly, We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Isn't that such an awesome response? Now, having courage under opposition is first in our thought, and next in our words, both what we do and say, what we don't, and, and finally in our deed. Friends, if you have courage to obey, God in the face of opposition you don't need to defend yourself just as Jesus in his trial before Pilate he Shadrach Meshach and Abednego no they don't need a legal defense because God is their defense the court of Babylon is nothing compared to the court of heaven and so just as they're presented with a choice bow to the image or burn so we're often presented with a choice Conform to society and be an outcast or worse. We know that thousands of our brothers and sisters continue to be imprisoned, physically tortured, put to death for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But there are all sorts of fiery furnaces, not all of them are literal. And so, We have, after the choice to obey God rather than the king, this wonderful declaration of faith and trust in God, they stand firm, verses 17 to 18. If we're thrown into the burning furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, we won't bow down. These men of God... They recognise precisely who God is and, and actually they show they've been listening to the question Nebuchadnezzar asks. What God will be able to rescue you from your hand, from my hand? And the answer is, well, well actually it's the God that we worship. You see, that's why they don't need to mount a legal defence because it, it's just so obvious, isn't it? We worship the maker of the stars and sea, the God who's given Nebuchadnezzar his life. How could they possibly bow down to anything else? It would be crazy. Like, once you've tasted cabras, you couldn't possibly want Hershey's. It's disgusting. <laughs> so this declaration of faith is, is not only bold, it's entirely logical. And so they're able to take the stand, to, to stand firm under opposition, And isn't that just so encouraging to us? Friends, we too can have courage under opposition if we stand firm, secure in our knowledge of who God is. God is able to deliver. He might not, but we can stand firm. Because he's in control. He's the king. And that truth which we as God's people can take courage in makes the enemy really angry. So, you know, standing up and saying, well Yahweh is the king, not you, that's going to make Nebuchadnezzar pretty unhappy. Nebuchadnezzar was furious before, but now in verse 19 we read that his attitude towards them changed. And so he has the heat turned up, hotter than usual, and orders them to be thrown into the fire. I wonder, what does that look like for you? For some of us, fire might be persecution. For others, it might be finance or health or a relationship. How can we not merely have courage under opposition then, but stand firm in the fire? Well, just before they're thrown in, do you notice in verses 20 to 21 that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are bound together first? Friends, it it might feel like you're alone sometimes, but none of us is alone because we are part of the universal church. We're bound together as a family. At the end of the service, we're going to pray, and if you know that you're in the fire, whatever that fire might be, or if you know you're going to be facing fire, or you know someone who's facing their own fires, then we'd... Love you to know that you're not alone. There's family here. We want to pray for you and with you. But friends, there's an even better news. Because it's not just that we're bound together in love to each other. The temptation is to think that we're alone collectively. But that's just not true. Do you see here? There's another in the fire. Look at verses 24 and 25. When there are three, asks the king. I I see four men walking around. Friends, take courage. God is with you in the fire. In Isaiah 43, 2-3, we read, When you walk through fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I, Yahweh, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. Isaiah prophesied this event 200 years earlier, and yet it also speaks to us now. God is with us as saviour. Friends, although we should expect opposition when we're faithful to God, we can also expect God to be faithful and to be with us. Recognise that God is in the fire with you when you feel the flames licking at your feet. Take courage. And yet... Perhaps you might think, well, this is also well and good for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. After all, they were rescued from the fiery furnace, weren't they? But what if you're not? What if you're in a situation where you continue to be under fire for your faith? When you're suffering in body, mind, or spirit, you might be asking, is God with you in the fire? Yes. Yes, he is. God is with us in all fires. Corrie Ten Boom and her sister Betsy were sent to Ravensburg concentration camp for hiding Jews from the Nazis. They'd been denounced by a neighbor. And on entering the camp, they were stripped and searched. They got a small Bible, they managed to smuggle it into their previous incarceration. And God, He provided the means for them to get it into Ravensburg. And after this, Corrie praises God, and she says, And so it was, that when we were herded into that room ten minutes later, we were not poor, but rich. Rich in this new evidence of the care of him who was God even of Ravensburg. They knew that God was with them in the fire, in the pit, and that no pit is so deep that he is not deeper still. The sisters read this Bible. They taught it to other inmates faithfully, with great courage, under perpetual fire. And yet God didn't rescue all of Corrie's family, at least not physically. Betsy died in Ravensburg, but Corrie was released. But I want you to hear that, because I think there is a slight danger sometimes, you know, when we read this wonderful story from Daniel, and we think, brilliant, God's going to just keep me safe. He will always keep our souls, our spirits safe. But we might have to suffer in other ways. And it's easy, isn't it, when you know the end of Daniel 3 to perhaps diminish Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego's courage in verse 17. But the testimony of Betsy Temboom, of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, and millions over the centuries will hopefully cure us of this. And yet, God is faithful he is with us but we can't tell god how he is to keep faith with us but there's some even better news look at verse 28 and we see nebuchadnezzar's reaction isn't it wonderful there's actually nebuchadnezzar who sees the lord in the fire did you notice that we don't actually know if anyone else could see the fourth person who has the appearance of the gods. But we we know that God has given Nebuchadnezzar two dreams, and in chapter 4, he gets another dream. God is not reactive, but proactive. You see, as it turns out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not the heroes of the story. Neither are we, nor is Daniel. He's completely absent from this chapter. And why, you might ask? Well, I think it's because we have to remember the the hero of this story, and all stories in the Bible, is not Daniel or David or Deborah or anyone else beginning with any of the other letters of the alphabet. (laughs) The hero of the story is God. It's how he, through his self-giving love, is able to draw all people to himself. And so the first part of the book of Daniel is really about how God draws this pagan king to himself using Daniel and his chums. Friends, their courageous faith, your courageous faith, will have an impact. Corrie Ten Boom was released from Ravensburg. She went on to preach the gospel across the world. She forgave her former guards and led them to Christ. Her written testimony, the hiding place, was given to my mum, who's with me this morning, and that led her to the Lord. She, in turn, led me, all because of Corrie's courageous faith. Like firstly, to not bow down to Babylon, but to protect the Jews from Nazism. Secondly, to not only give, not give up her Christian faith, but to preach the gospel even in the fire. And let's not mince words. The flames in book were literal as well as metaphorical. But God was faithful. And her faith has made such a tremendous difference. It's had such an impact. If you take a step of faith to trust God, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, then we can take courage that God will do his work. You see, faith is only about taking that next step. Friends, Leatherhead could look so different because of our courageous faith. And one of our youth already has shown such courage under the fire of her peers. She's brought people to church, she's Refused to make changes to her schoolwork because her teacher thought it was too Christian. I can't wait to see what God will do with her faith. We can't see the end of all things. Only God can. God's end game was not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but Nebuchadnezzar. I just want to remind you, this is not a man to be trifled with. In Jeremiah 39, we read how he killed Zedekiah, the king of Jerusalem's sons, before his eyes, then he takes out his eyes. So the last thing he sees is the death of his children. This is how much God wants to redeem the lost. We who've put our trust in Jesus are saved because of him, because of his faithfulness. What we can expect from God is not merely his faithfulness towards us who profess his name, but to those who don't know it yet. God wants Babylon for his own. God wants Leatherhead for his own. God wants England for his own. South Africa, too. The whole world, in fact. This week, friends, when you come under fire, expect it, but stand firm encouraged by the God who's with you in the fire. Pray and trust him to do more marvellous things than we've read in this chapter of Daniel today.